Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. I have the privilege of leading alongside of my wife, Lee. We're glad that you are with us, whether you're in the room or if you're engaging online. We are in this together. We are together. So whether you're in the room or not, we just want you to know we love you and we're grateful that we get to be together. We've been in the series called The Way of Jesus, The Way of Jesus, and it, it's a reminder for those of us that would call ourselves Jesus followers or Christians that the way of Jesus is a way of life. It isn't just a few rules or a few things that you do or don't do. It's a, a new way of existing, a new way of operating, and, and I love to look at the early church to look at what we can learn as the current church. I find it fascinating to study the early church, to look at the implications of. So Jesus has lived on earth with a group of imperfect, flawed people, and then they're left with a mission. Carry it forward. Jesus is gone. Now it's up to you. Now you get to build the church and be the church. And at that time, the early church following Jesus was not comfortable, incredibly uncomfortable. It actually was so uncomfortable and costly. It was inconvenient and not in like one of those, uh, it's inconvenient for my schedule or my time or how I want to spend my, like none of that. It was costly in the sense that it could actually cost you your life. To follow Jesus in the early church meant you were willing to sacrifice everything. You were willing to pay any price. You were willing to, to be the church no matter what it costs you personally, even if it costs you your life. And yet the church exists 2,000 years later because of them. Because along the way they were faithful and then a generation after that was faithful and generations that came before were faithful and were committed to pay the price that they needed to pay. That they actually, they paved the way for us. We look back and it helps us to look forward. I look at the early church and they were willing to follow Jesus at any cost, no matter what the cost is. And it causes me to reflect in 2022 and certainly personally reflect how easy it is for me to go, this is uncomfortable or this is inconvenient, and I feel like my life is busy, so Jesus, I don't know if I have time for you, or I'm busy doing all sorts of other things, and it's easy for me to wonder to myself, do I really want to, to pay the price? Am I really that committed? It can be easy for all of us to find ourselves in places where you go, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't know about there. I don't know about this. It's so easy for us to focus our minds on the wrong things, on the sideways things. It's so easy for us to binge a, a series and spend all sorts of time and go, I don't have time to pray to God or read the Bible. It's so easy for us to settle into this rhythm 
and yet we deny our soul the one thing that we need, that is communion, time with the creator of the universe. God, the creator of the universe, wants to meet with us, be with us, and it's so easy for us to go, yeah, maybe when it's more convenient. I want us to spend some time looking at a passage where Jesus is talking about commitment and he's talking about cost. We exist at Collective to make it all about people seeing Jesus, and so we wanna look at his words. We're looking at a book called Luke, and we're going chapter by chapter through Luke, and I wanna look specifically at Jesus's words found in Luke, as Jesus talks about commitment and cost. And I do wanna just say that I do believe that the future of the church is not built on people who are less committed, but instead on people that are radically committed to give their whole life and pay whatever price that they need to pay in order to follow him in every single way. That the future of the church is not about relaxing our commitment level, but actually ramping it up and saying there is more for us. I want to look like the early church that is so committed to being the church that nothing can stop them. We've been using this language of apprenticeship. That's this idea of being apprenticed under Jesus. We want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. Apprenticeship is far more active. It is not spectator. It is an active pursuit of going, I want to be more like you. I want to be with you. I want to do what you did. And we want to increasingly become more faithful apprentices to Jesus. This is why this language, even the series, The Way of Jesus, is significant. Early Christians weren't even called Christians. They were called followers of the way. Followers of the way, this way of life. And I wanna just make sure we're always going back to this reminder that this way of Jesus is a whole new way of living in every single area. Before we dig into this passage, I wanna pray. God, I pray that in these moments that you would be the one that speaks. God, I I bring all of my effort and energy and recognize that without you, I've got very little. God, may it not be a time of just exchanging information, but instead, God, we invite you, change us. We want transformation. God, speak to us. I know that you see every single person that's in the room, that you know them, you know that what they've walked in with, you know what you want for them. God, speak directly to each person in the room or online in a way that is undeniably you. Where we are settling for less. God, let it be your voice that we hear, not our internal voice, not the critical voice, not the enemy's voice, not the external things. Let it be your voice that we hear. God, we need you. Change us. We surrender to you. God, I give you this moment. I need you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. There are moments in the Bible where Jesus says things that we'd rather pretend he didn't say. There are times that Jesus says stuff that you're like, Jesus, I don't think you're allowed to say that. It's 2022. I don't think you're allowed to say what you are currently saying. I'm gonna look at one that this is what he's doing. And the problem is that as Christians, we like to read the Bible selectively. We like jump from all the verses that people put on mugs, right? We're like, I like those ones. Those ones... Are nice, and then we see other ones, we're like, whoa, I don't want to deal with that. 
Like there's other things that we look at that we are selective. And we can't do that with Jesus because if we do that with Jesus, we have an incomplete picture of who he is. And so we picture Jesus, nice guy Jesus, who always just is, there are just animals and children around and it's always just beautiful and there's soft music playing. But what do you do with the fact that there are moments that Jesus says things that are hard, that are actually in some ways offensive, that you go like, oh man, they should sit with us. And we need to read those things because we need to understand who Jesus is as a whole. And so I want us to look at Luke 14, verse 26. And Jesus is turning up the heat for his disciples. That is, he's, he's calling them to a higher expectation. So his disciples, and by, by uh, extension, us as uh, disciples or apprentices, he's, he's increasing the expectation, and he's saying things that are meant to be, that are meant to confront and, and challenge. And in Luke 14, 26, Jesus is speaking, and he says, if you want to be my, my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. There's a degree you're like, Jesus? Hate everyone else? Okay, so let's, let's understand. So by comparison, hate everyone else, your mother, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, I would encourage you, if you have your Bible or the Bible app, read, I'm not making any of this up. Okay, this isn't like, Tyler really just wanted to go hard in the paint. Like, these are Jesus' words. And so I want to look at them and go, what does he mean by this? What does this look like? What do we do with this? How do we respond? He's saying, if you want to be my, my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. And on first reading, that should hit us. Like, here we go, what? What do I do with that? I think sometimes as, as Christians, if we've grown up in the church or we spend a bunch of time, we just get really comfortable going, of course. But we should reflect on what does he actually mean. Jesus is saying your love for him should be so extravagant, so deep, so ferocious that in comparison, nothing else even looks close. That things otherwise look almost like hate because they don't represent the love that you feel for Jesus. Now, let me, just, let me just bring this even more practically. Think about love for a second. Think about the things that you say, I love that. Like, I love Mexican food. I love tacos. We found this place around the corner that's called uh, Paloma's, Paloma's Grill. And we got like the, Paloma's Grill? We got the full experience, and I got to have this taco that was made out of cow tongue, and it was unbelievable, and lamb, and I love tacos. I also love my kids. Ava is six, Parker is four. I love them, but that love is not the same thing. If I was walking down the street, and I was carrying said taco, looking at this taco going, wow, this is a beautiful taco, and it slipped out of my hands, and it fell onto the road, and a car came by and hit that taco, I'd be bummed. I'd be like, wow, that's unfortunate. I was really excited to eat that taco. But then think about that with my kids. If I had Ava and I was walking her to school as we do, and she slipped, and she ended up on the road, I would stand in front of a car and take it. I would throw her out of the way. I would give my life. I would go, I don't even care, because I love her. 
I love my kids. They are not the same thing. And Jesus is explaining to us this vivid picture of going, your love for me should be so unbelievably extreme and passionate that everything else should look like how you view tacos. Yeah, I love tacos, whatever, but I love Jesus. I love Jesus with such, with such intensity. He's calling us to something so much greater. And, and you think about even the hypothetical story if Ava was walking and she ended up on the road and you go, okay, imagine yourself in that scenario and you in relation to Jesus. We love to be the hero. Like that's like our move. We wanna be the hero, the strong person and go look at us. But in that scenario, we're the kid who ends up wandering onto a road unaware that we're leading to danger and destruction. We're the ones that end up in places where we're like, I'll figure it out on my own, and we end up going into places that we shouldn't be that harm us. And Jesus is the one, this is the center of our faith, who stands in the middle and says, I will take that for you if you'll let me. If you will surrender your life to me, I will stand in the gap. You are destined and heading toward destruction, and I am unwilling to let you go there. I will stand in the gap. I will give my life for you. And this is why we are drawn to love Jesus differently. When we understand that reality, when that impacts everything else that we do our whole life, we are more and more moved by, I can't believe this is what Jesus does for me. He stood in the gap. He paid the price. He died for us. And this should compel us, and this should awe us. And the problem is that if we're not careful over time, it becomes just something else. It's like, yeah, he died on the cross for me, and that's nice and everything, but I... And it's meant to constantly bring us back to going, look what he did for us. See, I look at how I view my kids and, and the, the complete love that I have for them, even if they drive me nuts. And even if they do stuff, you're like, what are you thinking? I look at them and go, I would, I would, I would lay down my life for them. I really would. And I go, that's a glimmer of what Jesus thinks about you. Like, like a, a tiny glimpse that he sees you in all your flaws, all your failures, all the times you're like, did I do enough? Did I, am I good enough? And he looks at you in the worst day, worst moment and says, I would give my life for you without even a second thought. And not only did he give his life for us as Christians, he also, he also endured agony for us and did it willingly. This should change how we love him in response. We don't love him to try to earn something. We love him because we know what he's done for us. But how do you grow in that kind of love? Like when you're a, a new Christian, maybe you really feel that, or maybe you get comfortable and complacent, and you find yourself, and you're like, I've lost that loving feeling. Like I don't, I don't feel as much of that, of that passionate love for Jesus and what he's done. Can I just let you know, you don't grow in that kind of love by spending less time with him. Think about even relationships. Like, Lee and I have been married for 11 years. <laughs> what? Almost 11 years. Re really? It's 11 of the longest years of Lee's life. Uh, we, we've been married for almost 11 years. 
I don't grow in my closeness with her and love for her by seeing her once a week. I, I don't grow in my, in my passionate pursuit of who she is by somewhat observing her every once in a while. No, I spend time with her. I delight in her. I get to watch her at work as she parents our kids unbelievably well. I get to watch her lead and see how she operates and think this is amazing and my love for her grows. In our spiritual life, we look at our life and we go, yeah, I don't feel some of that, but we don't spend time with Jesus. We don't watch him at work. We don't delight in him. We don't create space to go, I want to see what you are up to. Because I promise you, when we do that consistently, our love and passion grows. And it's so interesting because the very thing that we're desperate for, we're like, I just, I just want to be passionate about my faith. We're unwilling to do the things that lead to it. For so many of us, we make excuses and we go, well, you know, life is busy, and, but we have lots of time to do other things. We grow in our love as we spend time, as we spend time with Jesus. We grow. If you think about something you love, like a, maybe you have a hobby or maybe your job and you love it, you are constantly reading about it. You're constantly watching videos going, how do I get better? You're thinking about it all the time. Like there's, there's active pursuit. There's active investment. The same is true with our faith. We need to spend time and actually invest if we want to see a return on the investment. And Jesus in this passage is telling us that following him is not a small commitment. It's not a passive thing. Like, well, I mean, whatever, do it or don't do it. Whatever, it doesn't matter. No, there is this component that this is serious that the expectation is high, that Jesus' expectations of us are significant. And it's not just about asking Jesus into your heart, and it's not just about praying a prayer. This, following Jesus, apprenticing to Jesus, is a transfer of ownership. It's saying, it's not my life anymore, it's yours. I, I was destined to... to be destroyed. I was going to be hit by a car. I was, my brokenness was, was sending me in a direction that was going to kill me. And Jesus says, let me stand in the gap and give you new life. And so we transfer ownership and we go, Jesus, I need you. Left to my own devices, I'm not doing so well. If it's up to me, I will, I will destroy my life and I need you. My life belongs to you. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is why the chapter, the title of the chapter is The Cost of Being a Disciple. Now that was added in after to look at sections to help us to kind of compartmentalize and understand, but it's the cost of being a disciple. Jesus is raising the expectation for his disciples and for us. And in that, he is crushing comfortable Christianity and he is crushing cultural Christianity and consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity goes, the church exists to meet my needs. Jesus exists, God exists like a genie. God's job is when I pray and I do it all the right ways, then he's supposed to give me what I ask for. But that, that is not following Jesus. Comfortable Christianity says that the church or that God exists to make my life easier, but that's also not what we see. This is why it's helpful to look at the early church. Because you see it in contrast, and I recognize that 2022 is different than the early church, but there are things that they did 
that look more and more like what I, I think we need to look like. There was this level of commitment that they had. And, and you know what I love so much about the early church is they were not content to just say something. Their actions lined up. Like their actions were the things that drove everything. So, so like for example, it was, a, it was a massive problem in the, in the time of the early church where the Romans would, um, they, they had a, a really low view of, of babies' lives. And so they would take babies and rather than, well, they would just take them and they put them in garbage dumps and go, let nature take its course. Okay, so you have this group of people that are, that are just, they're just putting, putting children into garbage dumps to be, to be killed. And the Christians, uh, they didn't post on Facebook. They didn't start picketing. They didn't put up billboards. You know what the Christians did? They went into the garbage dumps, into all the muck, grabbed the kids and took them home and raised them. I look at that and go, regardless of your political stance or your opinion on, on anything, I go, the church should look more like that. Where we're not content to just say words. I said words, so that's enough. We should be willing to get in into the mess and go, I'm going to bring someone home. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to be obedient. I see a need, and so I do something about it. This is the early church. The early church that actually shared everything and gave their lives, literally their lives, and literally shared everything with each other. So it wasn't enough where they're like, wow, so someone has some needs. Hopefully they figure it out. Hopefully the government takes care of them. No, these Christians are like, we can do something about it. And so they didn't wait for other people. They didn't post about it. They didn't signal to anyone else. See, look how special. They just did it. And I think increasingly for us as Jesus followers, what does it look like for our lives to be marked by action, not words, not for the sake of other people, but because God is asking us to do something and we step into the moment? None of this commitment was hyperbole for them. This was reality. This was the commitment that they made, that their lives were evidenced. They knew what Jesus had done for them, and so they were willing to give everything over. They were willing to do anything that he asked, anything that he encouraged them or, or invited them to do. This was love. I was talking to Lee about the, the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing, and she's like, I'm so sick of hearing about all of it. And I was like, yeah, I actually, I have a little note to talk about it, so sorry. And I don't even want to get into any of the, the any of it, <laughs> But Will Smith said something really interesting in his, in his speech accepting the Oscar where he's like, love will make you do crazy things. And it was such an interesting piece because I just heard in that this distortion of what love actually is. Because I go, this is not love that we define as a Christian. Love is not that makes you do crazy things like that. Love, as Jesus defines it, is that love made Jesus endure agony for us. Love made Jesus pay the price for us. Love made Jesus die for his enemies. Like this is love. In John 15, 13, it says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is love. Love is sacrificial. Love puts others first. Love is willing to say it's not about me. It's not about, it's not about what I want. I, I want others to flourish. I want to see other people experience what I have. This is what the early church did. 
This is what Christians around the world even now are still doing, where they're exemplifying that. They're not talking about it. Their lives are evidenced that they are committed to doing whatever Jesus asked them to do. Laying down their lives for the sake of others. And Jesus continues in verse 27, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, see, some of us have cross necklaces or we have cross tattoos. Or I do want to just remind us that the symbol of the cross for us is a symbol of hope, but for many generations it was a symbol of death, of torture. It's a horrible and horrific way for someone to be punished. And carrying your cross, like Jesus is saying, was an acknowledgement of guilt en route to your sentence. You're carrying your cross as you're going, I did it, or at least I've been accused, and, and I, I, I have to go and take my, I have to do what I need to do, carry my cross. But it also is more for us. Jesus is saying, will you give your whole life to me? Will you lay down your life for me? And for some of this, this is in principle. This is not like a literal thing. It's just all the areas in your life. Will you actually give me your life? And for other people, for other Christians, certainly around the world, this is not just a conceptual idea. This is a reality. Will you give your life? If you come to it, if you come face to face with someone that will take your life unless you recant, will you follow Jesus to the end? We had one of those as a, a church that um, there is a, a pastor who's in Ukraine, and we had an opportunity to financially support him and to pray for him and found out that he had been captured by uh, the Russian government, was being tortured and jailed. Okay, this was not like a conceptual thing for him, going, will I give my life? He's there going, I'll give it all. We found out this past week that he was released. That in that, that God was at work, but I'm, I'm, I'm positive that he was not going, God, the goal is just to rescue, because I know part of what he even said is going, if I can reach the jailers. Like, it's exactly what we see in the Bible, where it's like, if I can use whatever I have, this is commitment. We see that around the world, where churches are flourishing, is in places where people are going, I'm willing to do anything and everything that you want me to do. And Jesus is inviting us to reflect. Will you die to yourself? Will you die to your preferences? Will you die to your idols, the things that you put above me, the things that you schedule above me? Will you die to those things? Will you die to the way that you think you want to live? Will you die to your comfort? And instead, will you embrace my way of life? And I want to, I'm very aware, this is heavy. Like, it should be heavy. For us, we should hear some of what Jesus is saying, going, okay. Like, this expectation directly from Jesus is high. I, I reference that the title of this chapter is The Cost of Being a Disciple, and the next section tells us why. In verse 28, it says, But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. And so the invitation here that Jesus is making is, I want you to count the cost. I want you to know what's expected of you as a disciple, 
And if you don't count the cost, it's like someone that goes to build a building without planning ahead and making sure they have enough and getting partway through and going, well, I guess I'm out. And he's, and he's explaining to us like that there's, there's a, a level of foolishness to that. And he's also just reminding us like this is a big deal. It's important that we recognize, too, that even in this mini parable, that there's something really fascinating. Jesus doesn't talk about if you can start your building, then that's success. He goes, no, success is finishing it. This is true for us from a spiritual perspective. It is not enough for us to start our faith strong. It is always how we finish. Next week, we have someone coming. His name's Steve Fleming, and he's He's one of our overseers and he's one of my mentors and he planted a church, led it for 35 years and then finished it. No scandal, no affair, all the money was where it was supposed to be. I look at that and go, that's the example. That's success. Success is not just this like little bit of a flash in the pan where you go, look at us, we started strong. Success is how we finish. Jesus is calling us all to more, but he is saying, don't follow me unless you count the cost, unless you're willing to pay the price. So some of us, we go, yeah, I'm willing to do what you want me to do until he says something in the Bible we don't like, and we go, well, not that. Like, I don't wanna wanna do that. And it's like, it it doesn't even have to be a controversial thing. It could just be, um, love your enemies. And you're like, do you know my enemies? He's like, For- forgive people repeatedly. And you're like, no, I'd rather be bitter and angry. Like we all have things that, that we struggle with. And in those moments we're faced with the, the invitation, are we going to lean in further and surrender even the area that is hard? Or do we want to just go, not your will, my will. Not your way, my way. What do we do when things get difficult? This is why we count the cost, because inevitably, as Christians, it is difficult. It's about ongoing surrender to his leading. That means that as we grow as followers of Jesus, as apprentices of Jesus, that as we grow, we'll realize there's still more growing to do. And so we'll work through some stuff, and we'll go, wow, I really... That was encouraging. I found healing in this area. I'm I'm encouraged by what I saw. And he goes, perfect. Now let's go even deeper. And you're like, oh, okay, I've been avoiding that. Like this is the process for the rest of our lives. Because he looks at us and goes, I want so much more for you. Like I actually, I don't want to do surface level. I want to go deep. At Collective, we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus. And honestly, I'm coming more and more to terms with the cost of that. Because that, that is why we exist. That's the center point of everything that we believe. It's why we look at his words and we take them really, really, really seriously. And not just seriously in the way that we go, okay, that's an interesting thought, but seriously in the way of going, what does that mean for me now? What do I do with that? There is a cost to following Jesus. Following Jesus will cost us and we have to consider that. We have to consider the cost that is required. We have to come face to face with Jesus and say, do I want to pay that price? Am I willing to do, to do what you're asking me to do? We can say, I want more. We had, early on when we started, we had uh, sweatshirts and we started with this series that was uh, made for more. 
And that is a significant part of how we think and how we view the church. But what I know is that we can say that. I want more, I want more, and it doesn't translate to actual action. Because part of it is in order for it to translate to actual action, it requires us to pay the price. Your life is designed to get the results that you're currently getting. And so there's a degree of, of if you want more, you actually have to give something up. And I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus offers us a life that is so much better and more and abundant, maybe not always in the way that we'd prefer, but he offers that life, but it does not come at no cost. It comes at the cost of giving everything to him to pick up his life. We come to him, we go, I'm giving it all to you. We struggle so much with the follow through. We struggle with the moments where he confronts things that we don't want him to confront and we're, we're faced with this reality of, do I actually want to live a life of real purpose? I don't typically bring up the books that I'm reading, but there's this book that I'm reading called Water from a Deep Well that has been really significant as I've started and I was like, man, there's something in here that I thought was so powerful. It's looking back at generations of Christians, martyrs, people that gave their life for faith, or people that marked significant moments in the development of the church. And you know a book is good when you're like three pages in, going like, oh man, that's, oh, and you're going to the next thing. And so I, I, I don't even think the page is numbered. It's technically page 15. There's this, this section that talks about Augustine. Augustine is this famous Christian theologian who lived a few hundred years after Jesus. He was, I think, in North Africa, and so he was 1,500 or so years ago. And he is writing, the author is writing about Augustine and then quotes him, and it says, Casting off the faith of his mother when he was only a teenager, Augustine sampled various philosophies and lifestyles before realizing that only God could answer the deepest questions of his mind, and satisfy the deepest desires of his heart. He indulged himself in physical pleasure, but it failed to deliver what it promised. No matter how much he enjoyed the lusts of the flesh, he always ended up wanting more. He strove for success, for fame, and recognition, but these too led to bitter, bitter disappointment. He discovered over time that he had become a prisoner to his base desires and ambitions, which threatened to destroy his life. What he truly desired, of course, was to know God. I was hankering after honors, wealth, and marriage. He prayed to God, but you were laughing at me. Very bitter were the frustrations I endured in chasing my desires, but all the greater was your kindness in being less and less prepared to let anything other than yourself grow sweet to me. Not that pleasure and beauty and ambition are evil in themselves. They become evil only when pursued apart from God. God must always be first in our lives because God is the center, source, and end of all existence. There are elements of exactly what Augustine said that could be someone talking in 2022. Like I've searched for all these things, for, for money, for pleasure, for success, for fame, all of it, only to realize that it was not enough. And the problem is we're slow learners just as human beings. And so we kind of look at Augustine 1,500 years ago who's saying this, and we go, I don't know, I think I need to learn by myself. I think I need to try to find all of that stuff and then try it and we try it and we try it only to find that what he says is true, that it's only with God, that God at the center, is un it unlocks all the other things that you go, this is how my life was made. 
The one who created me actually understands how I'm designed. The one who created me for purpose had plans for me, actually has plans and purposes for me, and they don't always look like what I expect them to look. God must be at the center of everything. Jesus must be at the center of everything. For those of us that would call ourselves Jesus followers, that has to be true in our lives. And anytime we notice that something is at the center or taking Jesus' place, we need to have the courage to go, this is not the rightful place. We need to be aware of the times that we get out of line. Because everything that we think will bring us joy and peace and contentment is but a vapor and a false promise next to his truth. We don't want to settle for less. We are made for more. There is more for us. And I want you to know it is found in Jesus at the center. And that's not the, the reality that I'm saying because I go, well, that's the nice Christian answer. I, I've lived it out. I see other people living it out. And I'm going, there is something better for us. There is more for us. Jesus is calling us to a higher standard, and even in the next section, he's not soft-selling any of it. He says in verse 33, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. So what's the cost of following Jesus? The invitation for Jesus of, of this passage is to count the cost. And what's the cost according to Jesus? Everything. Your whole life. All the stuff that you own and all the stuff that owns you, all of it. Following Jesus means giving up everything to him. And I want to lovingly step on every single one of our toes, mine included. That means areas in your life that you go, Jesus, I'll give you everything except that. Jesus, I'll give you everything except for this area. He wants all of it. We don't get to go, I'm going to get your way of life except where it's my way of life. Jesus is confronting us to surrender every single area, to surrender our family, to surrender our sexuality, to surrender our bank accounts, to surrender our schedule, to surrender our home, all of it. Whatever area that you go, uh, God, I don't, I, don't, I don't really want your way in this, that's the area that he's going, this is what I want. All of us have areas that you go, Man, I'm willing to do what you asked me to do, but it's really inconvenient when you ask me to do it uh, through the week. So if you could just wait till Sunday, that would be ideal. Or you're like, I know you want me to be generous living out my life with finances. And, and you go, but I have so many bills and expenses. You can't possibly ask that. Whatever the area that you go, I feel pushback or resistance in that area, pay careful attention to it. My invitation would be to ask God, God, what are those areas? The areas that I put a fence around and I go, you can have everything else except for that. I want your way of life except for that. That is not how Jesus works. And that's challenging and it should be. It's challenging because then you go, do I actually, am I willing to pay the price? Am I willing to do all that he is asking me to do? Everything comes under his way of life. Everything that we are and everything that we do is surrendered to Jesus. He becomes our authority. Now, we talk a lot about the cost. What's the benefit? What's the reward? We give our whole life, and what do we receive on the other side? We receive true purpose. 
Not faulty purpose, not momentary purpose, but true purpose for our entire life when we surrender to him. We experience real transformation. You know the areas in your life that you're like, I wish I didn't have that? We actually, when we give no bounds for him and say, work in me and use other people, I'm ready, we actually change. Our lives change. Our lives are transformed. And suddenly we look at ourselves and go, I might not be who I want to be, but I'm not who I was. My life has changed. We experience hope and peace in the midst of situations that make no sense. You look again at the early church and they were being, they were being murdered for being Christians and yet were marked by joy and generosity. This is what it means to follow Jesus in every single area. We experience eternal life. This is not the end. That's one of the central parts of what we believe as Christians, that, that our life, whether it's long or short, is not the end, that God has plans and purposes beyond our life because we serve a God with resurrection power. Jesus came back to life. We experience healing in our lives. We give up our lives, and as we lose our lives, it's actually when we find it. The very thing that we're looking for, when we surrender it, we receive. John Piper says this quote about about this cost. There's no cost that you can pay in following me that won't be made up to you a thousandfold in the resurrection. And so as Christians, for us, it's coming before Jesus and going, I'm giving you everything. And it's a process. I think that we need to at some point in our hearts count that cost and be willing to say, I'm gonna give you everything and then know that we'll spend the rest of our life backing that up. Because it's not like you're arrived and you suddenly go, now everything is perfect or easy. But over time, you're continually giving more and more and you're going, I'm surrendering. That's why I love to talk about, about a, a discipleship as ongoing surrender. Because as you surrender, he doesn't just say that was good. He keeps going, now we have more to do, work to do. And so for us to be in the place where we're going, Jesus, I give you everything. I'm giving you my, I'm giving you my family. I'm giving you my life, I'm giving you my career, I'm giving you my money, I'm giving it all to you and I'm saying, use me and do more through me than I can do on my own, I want to trust you. For, for Lee and I, it's this ongoing process of going, we're, we're gonna give you this church and go, it's not our church, it's your church, build it as you ask us to build. And in that, our life is marked by deepening obedience and faithfulness. Like, I would never ask you to do anything that God is not asking you to do. But what I would always say is if God is asking you to do something, do it. Marked by obedience and faithfulness. Faithfulness is not that you go, oh, if, if my life looks amazing and everything works out, then I'm great. Faithfulness is going, I just want to be faithful and do exactly what he asked me to do along the way and trust him with the results. And trust him that even if even if the results are not measuring up like I think they would, that in the midst of that, that he promises his presence and his peace and his joy and things that make no sense to the world. And even in that, even in difficulties, my life could be an indication to other people of who God is. We surrender our lives and we live a life that is marked by faithfulness and obedience. We just, we can't settle for less like as Christians, and I recognize that there are some people, even in the room or engaging online, go, that cost seems too high. I'm not sure I wanna pay that. 
But for those of us that have made the decision to follow Jesus, given our life, transferred ownership, the cost is the cost. This is the indication. This is the invitation for us to go, I'm gonna give you everything. If you're a parent in the room, our kids desperately need to see this. They do not need to see lukewarm people that say they believe in Jesus for two hours on a Sunday. They need to see lived out faith going, I want my life to be marked by obedience and faithfulness so that my kids might see that God has a plan and purpose for them that is lived out every single day, of every single moment that he is close to them. That for the rest of us, whether we're parents or not, that the world needs to see that. They need to see something different they don't, they don't need to see Christians that look like everybody else. They need to see something that looks different, that is countercultural. And yes, some people might go, I don't want to do that. But then others will go, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. We cannot be content to settle into consumer or cultural Christianity. We cannot be comfortable Christians. Jesus gave his whole life for us. He held nothing back and invites us to respond in kind. And this is the beauty of the church and of community is we get to stand with each other in that. We get to walk with each other and lovingly help each other, correct each other. I've been reading another book that talks about renewal in the church. And one of the, the, the things that that comes before renewal where life begins and life thrives is this willingness to acknowledge our brokenness and sin not to get comfortable with it, not to excuse it. And we do that. We're like, I know that I shouldn't lose my cool and respond in anger, but that's just who I am. And you go, there's an invitation for us to, to look at our sin and go, God, I want better. I want more. For us to look at areas where we find ourselves feeling like we want to rebel or I, idolatry where you go, I'm putting other things above God. We look at all of those areas and we submit all of them to Jesus and to community and go, help me I want more. I don't want to just say I want more. I want more for my life. We need to lovingly help each other discover our blind spots. Now, always from relationship, if you have a stranger coming up going, you're the worst human being ever, that is not helpful. But if you have someone that loves you that goes, I don't want to see you ruin your life. Like even there have been a bunch of pastors in this last little bit that have, for whatever, whatever reason, have, have had affairs. And some that were, that were horrible abuses of power and some that were just bad decision after bad decision. And you go, but what would it have looked like to have people along the way that were going, don't go that way. Don't, 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 don't do that. Don't make that little decision. And can I just tell you, that's not just for pastors. That's for us. That's for every single one of us to lovingly look at each other and go, don't, don't do that. Don't wreck your marriage. Don't ruin your life. Don't make that decision. Please, it's because I love you and I don't want to see you. I don't want to see you ruin everything. This is the invitation for us as followers of Jesus. He says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Without giving everything. What is the cost of following Jesus? It's our entire life surrendered before him. God, you see us in our flaws and fears and failures and inadequacy. And you see all that we have that is 
a work in progress, but you see our hearts and you see our desire for more of you. God, I believe wholeheartedly that you see acts of stepping out and responding as moments and markers, but also as an invitation. God, we invite you to challenge us, to confront us, to put us around people that will help us. We don't look at each other and feel pride or arrogance like we've somehow got further than each other. We're looking at each other going, we're in this together. God, unite us, strengthen us for the people in the room that this is new or that it's been a while. God, you want to work through and in each one of them. God, as we respond in worship, as we lift your name high, let it not just be words that we sing on a screen, but declarations of our heart. God, I think about the 100,000 plus people in London that don't yet know you. Help us to be the kind of church that actually looks like your son, Jesus. And help us to partner with all the other churches in the city that it's going to take to reach people so that they might see life as it's meant to be. God, we need you in every single area of our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.